Uh, we're in 1 Samuel 16 again today. Last week, we launched off into a study in the life of David. Today, I thought I'd give it a little bit more time to that. Uh, here soon, we will get back to the Gospel of John. But we're drawing lessons today from this Old Testament life, one of the great lives uh, featured in the Old Testament, more written of David than any other person in the Scripture except Jesus. Uh, 66 chapters in the Bible telling about the life of David. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel 16, and you can find your spot in verse 14 is where we'll pick off the story. Music for a madman. On a cold January morning in Washington, D.C. subway, one of the world's finest musicians conducted an interesting experiment. In the realm of classical music, Joshua Bell is one of the most respected violinists alive. He's accustomed to performing in packed auditoriums all over the globe. But on this day, he was busking in rush hour traffic. And the question was this, would anyone notice or would they just pass by unaffected? Armed with his priceless 1713 Stradivarius violin and dressed in street clothes, Joshua Bell opened his instrument case for donations and began playing. And he played for 45 minutes. He graced that drab subway station with beautiful music from greats such as Bach and Schubert. There was a hidden camera also to capture the concert and the meager results. About a thousand people strolled by the virtuoso that morning. Only 27 tossed him a tip, which totaled about $32. And only seven people stopped to listen for any length of time. And what's interesting about this is just two days before, Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston for $100 a seat. One reporter wrote about this scene, and he gave the following commentary. He said, If we don't have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing the best music ever written, how many other things are we missing? There's beauty all around us. That many of us are hustling through life so fast we forget to pause, take it in, and refresh our souls. Now think about the drastic contrasts in that story. Beauty in a place of ugliness. Elegance in the midst of the mundane. Music royalty lost in a sea of obscurity. You know, there's a lot of parallels to the life of David. Think of David there on the rolling pastures of Bethlehem. There is a warrior poet playing his harp for God. For the first years of his life, more sheep heard him than human ears. And yet, young David watching after his father's sheep, never probably understood how far his music would take him. Today we're going to see how David's music ministry opened up a door of opportunity that would change his life forever. David went from singing to the sheep to serenading the savage Saul. And it's all right here in 1 Samuel 16. We remember last week that we saw him being anointed as the future king of Israel. But here at the end of the chapter, what we're going to notice is 
David is moved now from the pastures into Saul's royal court where he will perform his first act of duty there. David's ascension to the throne wasn't immediate. It's important that we understand that. God eased him into this position through a series of dramatic events. And the first of that was to bring him from the pasture into the palace. So as we pick up on this episode of David's life, we're going to notice how God orchestrates the details behind the scenes. And we're going to make some connections to our lives today about how God accomplishes His grand purpose to move us through different seasons and different callings and different positions in life to the next place of service. I want you to notice number one today as we study how God engineers our circumstances. How God engineers our circumstances. We're in verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey and laden it with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David to uh, his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service and Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. Now this episode begins by reminding us that God is already working out a great transition of power in the kingdom of Israel. Notice, friend, that the sun is setting on Saul's career and it's dawning in David's life, which is indicated by our text with the movement of God's Spirit. If you back up one verse, verse 13, we read about the anointing of David and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now look at the transition, verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Saul still bears the crown. Technically, he is still the king. But friend, he's lost the blessing. Because of his disobedience, the Holy Spirit has departed Saul and it has anointed, or he has anointed David. Now remember, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit operated under a different set of rules than he does today. In fact, I've got a little chart coming up here to show you these differences. In the Old Testament... The Holy Spirit did not permanently indwell believers like He does today. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was with Israel for empowerment. Today, the church age, the Holy Spirit is indwelling the church. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on select servants, prophets, kings, and judges. But today, the Holy Spirit indwells every born-again Christian. In the Old Testament... The empowerment that came from the Holy Spirit was temporary 
You might think of the spirit that came upon Samson to allow him to conquer the enemies. But in the New Testament, of course, we know the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is permanent. So we notice here a transition taking place. God is engineering the circumstances. Now there's a vacuum left in Saul's life that we read about in the text is filled with a distressing spirit that casts gloom and depression over him. Now, this is more than just, quote-unquote, a case of the blues. In fact, the text indicates that this evil spirit was directed by God to act, I believe, as an act of judgment upon Saul to harass him. And this appears to be at least a case of demonic oppression where a demon exerts limited power over a person's mental and emotional state. It's not as severe as possession, which we read about in the New Testament a lot, where an evil spirit takes up full authority and ownership over a person, but oppression nonetheless, an overwhelming experience. And so in short here we read that Saul is, for lack of a better word, losing his marbles. I mean, he's fit for a horse tranquilizer in a padded room. (laughs) He's having a hard time. He's naturally a vengeful and a paranoid man. And when the Spirit of God was upon him, those impulses were kept in check. But now with the Spirit of God removed from Saul's life, those neurotic traits are manifested. Now what's interesting about all this is God is using this strange malady that falls upon Saul as the means to bring David in from the pasture and into the palace. And so picture here. Saul's wild mood swings have left the royal brain trust and the king's physicians baffled. Uh, The doctor's antidepressants aren't working. The entertainers and the court gestures can't get Saul to crack a smile. And in a last act of desperation, one of those in the court of the king says, Hey, why don't we hire a musician to come in? It's at least worth a shot. And it just so happens, by the providence of God, that one of the VIPs there in the king's inner circle knew about David. He knew about a little shepherd boy, an unknown who was gifted in musicianship, who had a great reputation, and he suggests, why don't we go track this little kid down, this boy, he's barely got peach fuzz on his face, but man, he can play a tight liar. Let's get him up here and play... For Saul. Now, friend, that's the providence of God. That's God working behind the scenes. Think about all the moving pieces that have to come together in order to uh, bring about David's advancement. I get excited just thinking about it. Let me number them off for you. Number one, the Holy Spirit had to move off Saul and on to David. Number two, the Lord allowed a distressing spirit to cause a crisis in Saul's life. Then number three, the right person had to be there at just the right time who knew about David to mention to the rest of the king's court, hey, I know this kid that can solve this problem. And then number four, years before this, David had to have picked up a harp and began to play and sing so that he would be a skilled musician so that when this opportunity arrived, he was already prepared to step into the role that God had planned for. You see, God already had this in the works years ago. 
when little David was assigned the shepherding job, the job that nobody wanted, when somebody put a little lyre in David's hand, God was already working all the way back then in the past to bring David to this opportunity in his present where God was going to move him out of the pasture and into the palace. That's providence, friends. That's the complex work of God weaving together the various strands of people and events to bring them together in such a way that they make a beautiful tapestry. You and I can't do it. We can't plant it. We can't open those doors. We can't plant those seeds. We can't move the pieces together like God can. Man plays checkers. God plays chess. He's ten steps ahead. Praise the Lord. And providence is this. It's the hand of God in the glove of human events. Here's my definition. Providence is an act of God's provision through the precise ordering of natural and human events for the purpose of bringing about His will. In other words, we go to the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 28. We read it there. That all things work together for good to them who love Him and are called according to His purpose. This is an 828 moment written over the life of David. It's directly tied to God's foreknowledge. God knows future events. It's tied to God's sovereign rule. He can bring people and events together in such a way that uh, providence makes sense with hindsight. In God's foresight, it makes sense with man's hindsight. There's a great illustration of this from the life of Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. Uh, many of you have heard me tell story after story about him, but this is a great one. Charles Spurgeon was boarding a train one day and he got situated in his rail car and there was one other man in the car with him. And Spurgeon began to become agitated. He became flustered and frustrated. Uh, he's searching through his pockets. The other man in the car notices this and he says, Sir, uh, I hope that you haven't lost anything. And Spurgeon replied, oh, Well, my friend, unfortunately, <laughs> I seem to have lost my ticket and I know that the conductor will arrive here soon. And if I can't produce a ticket, I don't know that I'll be able to ride home. But, he said, I have been out today sowing the good seed of the Word of God. And I believe that God will work all things out. Well, a few minutes later, here comes the conductor through the cars of the train. And before he could get to Spurgeon, the other man in the car spoke up. He said, William, that was the name of the conductor. He stood up. He said, William, this fella is with me. Don't worry about his ticket. Spurgeon was utterly surprised. He was shocked. Then the man in the car with him began to explain the situation. He said, sir, it seems to me that God has been looking over your affairs. You see, I'm the general manager of this railway, and this meeting appears to be divinely arranged. It's no accident that you should be my companion today in this rail car when you have lost your ticket. And it's no coincidence today that you're sitting beside me because I was asking questions just last night about heaven and hell, about my soul. And God sent me a preacher to be alone with Him on this ride. And it, it seems as if God has engineered the situation for just a time like this. Spurgeon later wrote of that. He said, quote, God providentially works all things for your good such that if the waves roll against you, 
It only speeds your ship toward your divinely appointed port. Friend, I'm telling you that the steps of the righteous man or woman are ordered by the Lord. Uh, our events, our, our moments, uh, our appointments, our meetings with, with people and with situations uh, can be tailor-made by God to do something that we never imagined or we never saw coming. I think about uh, what led me here to Liberty Baptist Church uh, over 10 years ago. I had no idea that this church needed a youth pastor. And at that moment, I was so hungry to do anything. I said, Lord, I'll clean the bathrooms. Uh, I, I, I'll do anything just as long as I can serve you. God, open an opportunity for me. And I never uh, knew that God would do it in this way. God will sometimes surprise you and blow your hair back. I, I had a routine of going over to work out at the gym over on Brevard Road. The gym's not even there anymore. It's closed. It was the Lord's gym back in that day. And I would go early in the morning because I could get it done. And there were less people. In fact, that's where I met Brother Stan over there. Stan and Carmela over there. And then uh, W&C Barbell. But I got into the habit of going to this gym early in the morning. And all this time I'm praying, God, open up a door. God, lead me to a ministry. God, uh, you, you know that I want to serve you, but I, I just don't have anywhere to go. Well, one particular Friday morning, I overslept. Ever happened to you? Get the snooze button four or five times? I did that. And so I thought, well, I missed my morning appointment. I'm not going to go work out this morning. So I'll go work out later on this afternoon. So I went and I did my work, did my job, and then I swung by the gym on the way out. And as I walked in, there was Todd Cole, the previous pastor of this church. And I hadn't seen Todd in years. He used to be my Sunday school teacher years ago, and I started talking to him. I said, how's ministry going for you? And he began to tell me about what was going on here at the church. He said, we're actually searching for a youth pastor. <laughs> I'm telling you, God was at work. I said, oh, I've been praying that God would open up a door of opportunity for me. And I want you to know I overslept this morning because God knew I had a divine appointment to meet you here today. And as they say, the rest is history. And friend, what I want you to see today is the same God who carefully ordered the events of David's path to the palace. He's orchestrating the events in your life too. He's working on both ends of the equation to intersect you with uh, His supply in the middle of your shortage, to make things to come to pass that there's no way that you could do it. It's outside your control. It's like uh, the old preachers used to say, if you walk down a country road and you see a turtle sitting on top of a fence post, you know somebody had to put him there. And friend, that's what I feel like in my life. A big old turtle sitting on a fence post. I'm not here by my own power. I'm not here by my own calling. I'm not here because I'm special. I'm here because God reached down and plucked me up and set me on a solid ground. Friend, that's the truth of how God works mysteriously, wonderfully, providentially in our lives. Notice that David had a calling on his life, but he was in no position where he could do anything to advance himself. There's no way that little David the unknown could get from the pasture to the palace in his own power. He had no resources. He had no family connections. He had no power, no money. So God gave him this promise. How's he going to get him from A to Z? Friend, I want you to notice something today. 
If you're waiting on God, trust in His timing. Because it's better to wait on God and allow Him to move people and events around rather than me trying to force it or you trying to force it and everything falling apart. When God does it, everything falls into place. When I do it, everything falls apart. You say, how do you know if it's the will of God? Because if God does it, you don't even have to try. God just opens doors. He puts people right there. He, he creates opportunities. He intersects lives. And friend, you know what? If God's in it, I don't have to force it. And if God's in it, you can't stop it. It's, it's going to happen, right? So if I try and make it happen, it'll be a mess. But if I step back and I let God do it, it'll be a masterpiece. Amen? How many of you have lived that before? Transitioning from a job to another job or uh, another season in your life or another church or another ministry and you're sitting there wondering, God, I, you gave me a promise, you gave me a calling, you gave me a gift, how am I going to get from here to there? Hey, you just sit back and trust God and wait on Him to do what you can't do. So that's number one, how God engineers our circumstances. Then I want you to see number two here today, how God employs our capabilities. Our capabilities. Look what the text says very quickly in verse 18. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. The second way that God brought David into the position was by preparing him years in advance. Notice verse 18, we read that impressive resume that Saul's servant presented. I mean, David was the total package. I told you last week, God poured all the gifts and talents into this life and then threw away the mold. There was only one David. Here's a guy who's a talented musician. He's a brave warrior. He's a man of reason, sensible speech. He had dashing good looks and a cherry on top. The Spirit of the Lord was with him. I read that verse 18 and I think, you know what? I hope people say the same thing about me. And we need to think about that. What would your reputation be today? Are you building a godly reputation to be known by? If your name comes up in conversation, will some of these attributes be mentioned? Like the old saying goes, if you were accused of being a Christian and then appeared in a court of law, will there be enough evidence to convict you? This is not bad for the run of the family, by the way, right? He could barely get his dad to notice him. And this outsider says, oh, there's a one of a kind down there. We've got to get him to come and play. And when the time was right for David to step up, notice this, he'd already been groomed by God for the position. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Somebody, think about this, somebody was watching David all along as he's out there in the field. David thought he was alone. It's just his harp and the sheep. But you know what we forget? There's always a set of eyes on your life and my life. Even when we don't think somebody's watching. And it means even more if you're a parent because you've got a little set of eyes watching you. Everything you say, everything you do is like making an impression on wet cement. 
But notice this. God is employing the capability that has already been built into David's life. Leadership guru John Maxwell said this. He said, quote, There have been many meetings of only a moment which have left impressions for life and eternity. No one can truly understand this mysterious thing we call influence. And yet every one of us continually exerts influence either to heal or to hurt, to bless or to curse, to leave marks of beauty or stain lives. Like pebbles toss in a pond, our life ripples out and touches others, even people we haven't met and didn't even know was watching. I'm not bragging on myself. But I've felt this before. Because we broadcast our service on Facebook for the whole world to see, so don't be picking your nose during the service. It'll go out and everybody in the world will see it. But I'll be walking through the store, the grocery store, wherever, and somebody will stop me. I don't know who they are, but they know me. Hey, aren't you the preacher down there at Liberty? Yeah, on Sundays. I want you to know I... I've been watching your service. I've been listening to the messages and, and God hits me with a ton of bricks. There's people watching that I don't know who they are. Here in Candler, Western North Carolina, even maybe across the world, I don't know. Through the miracle of technology, it happens today. But they're watching you too. They're watching you at work. They're watching you do your errands. They're watching you at the gym or at school or they're watching you at the store. Some of them may not know that you come here and worship and that you profess to be a Christian, that you know the Bible, but they're studying your life. And what an opportunity to make an impact for lives and for eternity. Another thing that this text shows me is that you should never discount anything in your past. You may think that some skill you learned long ago is lost or not related to ministry or that you've wasted all your time in other areas and that God can't redeem it and God can't use it. But friend, don't believe that for a second. God wastes nothing. And what may be insignificant to you can be used by God in a way that will knock your socks off. David had no clue that day that a messenger was being sent from the palace to come and get him because somebody had noticed he was faithful in a small thing playing to nobody but a bunch of sheep. Somebody noticed and it changed his life. Don't ever think God can't use that past experience. God can't use that skill. God can't use that thing from my past, old friend. If you surrender to Him, you'd be surprised. I think of a couple examples from my life. When I was 15 years old, I took some birthday money and I went downtown Asheville, Finkelstein's Pawn Shop. I don't even know if it's still there. It may be. It is. I don't get downtown Asheville very much. In fact, I try and avoid it like the plague today. But back then, it was a different city than what it was today. Amen? You can walk down the streets of Asheville today, there's a darkness gripping our city, isn't it? Fifteen years old, $75 in my back pocket, I walk into Finkelstein's pawn shop. What am I looking for? 
a guitar. Why? Because I was getting into rock and roll music, and all my buddies were playing bass and drums and guitar, and I thought, you know, if I want to hang with them, better learn how to play. Now, I'm no Eddie Van Halen, y'all know that, but I learned enough $75 on an old Ibanez acoustic six string to be dangerous. Now, if you would have told me when I was 15 years old walking into Finkelstein's pawn shop that one day God is going to use that guitar for, his, for my future ministry in the church that He would place me to the glory of Jesus Christ, I don't think I would have believed you. But God at the age of 15 was already preparing to use that guitar on a Sunday morning just like today. And friend, it's God's foresight. And when I get on the other side of it, I can look back and see with hindsight, God was in it all along. That's what I'm saying. There's no accidents in your life, in my life. Second example. When I went to Chapel Hill, I was a declared history major. The only thing you can do with a history degree, Brother Stan, is drive a taxi <laughs> or teach. And that's what I had my heart set on. I was going to teach. And I went class after class. You had to have 10 credits in a history major to graduate. I took everything that I could. American history, world history, ancient history. I wrote essay after essay on George Washington. I wrote essays on Alexander the Great. I wrote essays on all kinds of historical figures. And the day that I graduated in 2006, uh, praise God, school's out. I'll never have to write another essay in my life. Don't tell God your plans. And now what do I do? Every single week I write an essay. I write a sermon. Where did all of that skill for reading and research and all that come from? Hey, it came from that time in school that I thought God's never going to use this again. Hallelujah, those days are gone. Oh, God was sitting in the heavens laughing. I didn't know that there was a calling on my life even at that point. I hadn't moved along enough to realize it. But God was already preparing me for the ministry that I was going to have one day. Amen. And I tell people today, I'm still a teacher. I just read and teach from another book. Amen? Amen. I'm telling you, that's how God employs your capability. That thing in your past that you think, I don't know how God can use this. It'll be the very thing that God will use to give you a ministry and knock your socks off and open up doors that you could never open. So, what do you have in your skill set that you can use for God? David had a harp. Samson had a jawbone. Moses had a staff. Peter had a fishing boat. And one little boy in John chapter 6, he had a sack lunch. And I challenge you to whatever gift, no matter how small it is, you surrender it to God and you'll be blown away how He'll move you forward in life and use you. You say, well, Derek, all I have is a past full of heartache and pain and tears 
and sin. Hey, you give God the broken pieces of your life and He'll save you and bring you out of that and He'll give you something more precious than gold called a testimony. It says, this is who I used to be. This is how I once lived. Here's the crowd I once ran around with. These are the things I used to put in my body. But then one day, oh, God reached down. He called me out of that mess. He saved me and He took the broken pieces of my life and I could never imagine the blessing that He uses it for today. Friend, if you're in that season of preparation and you can't connect it and you don't think, well, how am I going to get from the pasture to the palace? How am I going to get from my calling to my destination? Just trust God with the process. Don't despise it. What do you have that God can use? Number three, I want you to see this. Not only how God engineers our circumstances and and number two, how God employs our capabilities. But then number three, how God enriches our character. How God enriches our character. Verse 22 and 23. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. And so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. The third way that God met David's need and moved David forward was by testing his character. It's remarkable that David has no desire to be king. That's God's idea. He has no desire to play for Saul. That's Saul's idea. He's just out there on the hillside watching sheep and strumming under the stars, learning how to make words and music go together. David doesn't necessarily have a career path. And yet, David is a man of destiny and a man of integrity. In fact, this this young man is superior to Saul in every way. It doesn't take long as you get into reading the life of David that David was way more prepared to be a king than Saul ever was. And yet, notice this, David's first promotion is to be put in a position of servitude under the thumb of a man he knows he will replace. I don't know if Saul knew that yet. I don't think Saul had knowledge at this moment that Samuel had already gone and anointed David. He, Saul did not know that his replacement was coming in the front door. And yet, here is David. Knows his destiny, has the anointing, and here he is asked to play second fiddle. Preston, you can attest to this. Being in or- orchestra and all the background of music, the hardest position to play is second fiddle. Especially when you know In every way, my life has a destiny. And the person ahead of me has zero character. Hello, anybody ever been there before? You know what the hardest lesson to learn is? Humility. Serving others in a a way that you would never think of. If you work long enough in a company or a business, inevitably you're going to run across a superior that you have to answer to 
who in every way is not fit to hold that position. But maybe because of the system or the good old boy or whatever, they're the person at the top and you are put in a position of humility to serve them. You know what that is? That's a test of character. When you've got a boss that's ungodly and curses at you and has no clue and it always ends up falling at your feet. Hello? When you're in a family situation where you have to always seem to answer to that one overlording matriarch or patriarch, they don't have character, and yet you're in a position where you have to serve them. Or maybe it's in a church where you're a teacher or a deacon or just a servant, and you're thinking, man, I think God, don't you have much more for me than this? You see, there may be no greater test of humility than this. Am I willing to serve under someone who is not as qualified as I am? What a test of a servant's heart. And yet that's where David is. And what a test for his character. You see, if my calculations are correct, David is about 16 years old at this point. He's anointed king. It doesn't come till he's 30 years old that he actually begins to rule. That means he waited 14 years for God to promote him from the day of the promise to the day that he received his position. And I can't help but think that God sent David to the palace to learn how to be a king. You say, by watching Saul? Yeah. Because you can learn just as good from a good example as you can from a bad example. And I think observing Saul, he learned what not to do. Amen? By moving circumstances, God was preparing the throne for David. And by working on his character, God was preparing David for the throne. One of the great heroes of classical music is Johann Sebastian Bach. He's regarded as one of the greatest classical composers of all time. Not only was he a musical giant, but his hundreds of compositions were written originally as worship pieces. And in his manuscripts, his compositions always had the abbreviations JJ, which means Jesus Juva, Jesus help me in Latin. And then he ended them with the letters SDG, Solo Dea Gloria, which is Latin, to God be the praise. He was a preacher and a theologian, but he happened to work with music instead of another way. He worked with a keyboard instead of a pulpit. And yet for all of his musical genius, did you know that Bach was way underappreciated for his time? The church in Germany where he was the music director paid him peanuts. And yet the parishioners complained as they listened to some of the greatest music ever to be composed that his music was old-fashioned. Even though this man wrote a new cantata almost every single week. That's like a musical marathon every week. And upon his death, much of his music was forgotten by the public. It took years and years before they rediscovered all this tremendous body of work this man had done. Here's a story I really wanted to tell you. The story is told that one night... Bach was scheduled to debut a new composition. 
He arrived at the church expecting it to be full of eager worshipers. Instead, as the time drew near for the performance to begin, nobody showed up. Without missing a beat, Bach told his musicians that they would still perform as planned. So they took their places, Bach raised his baton, and soon the empty church was filled with magnificent music. And rather than wallow in self-pity, Bach humbly told his musician, Tonight, we will play for an audience of one. And isn't that the lesson that David teaches us here? Have you learned to play for an audience of one? Have you learned to be humble? Have you learned to serve? Because that's how David started out. A nobody off in a field with sheep and then serving a man whom he was to replace later. And you know what? Whether God promotes you or me, that's His prerogative. You know what He's called me to be? Faithful. And that's what I try and do every time that I teach or every time that I preach. Whether it's a full church or whether it's just a handful, it doesn't matter to me because there's an audience of one who's watching it all and I want to give God my best. I want to give Him the best message and the best teaching full of passion because God is worthy and God is watching. Who cares about titles? Who cares about prestige? Who cares about letters behind your name? Or aren't you big name so-and-so? I don't give a rip about any of that. I want to know at the end of the day that I offer my best to a holy God who sent His Son to die for me. He deserves the best. How could I ever complain about my position in a church? And God put me there by design. I'm the clay. He's the potter. He didn't have to do anything for me. He could have left me out in the sheepfold and never used me at all. He could have left you lost in your sin and bound for hell. But He clutched you up out of the refuse and trash heap of the world, cleaned you up, dusted you off, and said, I've got something for you that you can't even imagine. How dare we ever complain? My goodness. By the way, David's service to Saul is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. David spent the first years of his life in obscurity as a humble shepherd boy until God moved him into a larger position. That's a lot like Jesus, isn't it? Jesus who spent the first 30 years of his life toiling away in anonymity in the carpenter's shop and ankle deep in sawdust that the Son of God Till his ministry began. David was anointed king of Israel even though he served an inferior man, Saul. And likewise, Jesus was the king of the Jews. But according to Mark 10 and verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to wash dirty feet. David was called upon to play the lyre and miraculously every time that David played, the tormenting spirit of Saul would depart. Just like Jesus. Jesus went to the broken, to the downcast, to the sick and the afflicted and those who were filled with evil spirits and harassed by many demons. 
And yet Jesus came and he ministered to them in a way that David did to Saul. David's a picture of Jesus right here in the Old Testament. So I ask you today, who are you most like in this text? Are you like Saul? Distressed? Vexed? Burdened? Turn to Jesus. He'll minister to your soul. He'll give you peace and forgiveness and a second chance. Are you like David today? Waiting on God? Hey, trust is timing. God don't make no junk. And God don't make no mistakes. Amen? Amen. Trust is timing. Because if I do it, it'll be a mess. If God does it, it'll be a masterpiece.